You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm on the other line with EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how you doing with a victory in your pocket? Uh, I've got two things that I really like, a Bears win and a brand new beer that's really good, so i uh, much better than last week, let's put it that way. Absolutely, 100%. So that's what we're, we'll do. Obviously, we're going to start off with the victory beer. So go ahead and share with the group what you have brought to the table today. I'm tremendously excited. I don't find new beers that I haven't tried all that often. I'm always on the lookout for them. And I was at the store on Sunday, and I saw this Western Standard Saloon Lager. And I said, what in the heck is that? Never seen it before. Picked up a six-pack. It's described as a clean, pre-prohibition-style lager graced with beer aged in high West bourbon barrels and after last week's beers over bourbon I was keenly aware to try this I picked some up um, and yeah I I gotta say I sampled it I couldn't wait but we'll we'll save the we'll save the report for the end but uh, suffice it to say I have it for the pod and I'm excited about it so what'd you what'd you bring well I want to say first of all I think you said uh, beers over bourbon which that's kind of oh. taking it to another level when you put those two together that's not a great Freudian. Idea. Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, High West is one of my favorite non-Kentucky uh, bourbon distilleries. I, I enjoy them quite a bit. We've, they make a really good rye. So I was channeling you when I bought this. I thought, this is a beer that JB would love. That's true. If I saw that, just the label, I would buy that for sure. Yeah. So I have a beer from Flying Dog. It is called Lucky SOB. It is an Irish red ale, and it is just covered with four-leaf clovers. And if any game makes me feel like we got a little bit of a lucky SOB on our side, it was it was that game. We'll get into that in a minute, but a uh, little Irish red ale for, for this celebration. Terribly appropriate, I think, given circumstances. Let's pop these things open. Yeah, I, this is actually one of my last beers from the East Coast trip that I have left, and I'd, I'd been saving it for uh, a, vict- a close victory. So uh, perfect timing that the Bears were able to give us a close victory so that I could drink this beer. Fantastic. That is a, a wonderful result. Um, don't know about you. I ended up heading out to a bar to watch the game. Uh, I was looking for somebody with... Uh, NFL Sunday ticket and took my inaugural visit to um, Buffalo Wild Wings. I had never been to a Buffalo Wild Wings before and went to the local Buffalo Wow, Wild welcome Wings. to the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, no, I I had avoided 
uh, Buffalo Wild Wings didn't really have anything I thought I wanted, but they had the game on Sunday and they were the closest place. And I uh, got to say, it wasn't, uh, it was loud, but you know, that was fine. There was lots of fans in there enjoying. Uh, it was a little intimidating because as I walked in, uh, again, I am out West and there's sort of a side um, group gathering sunroom area and it was literally jammed with Broncos fans. There's probably 35, 40 Broncos fans in there, jerseys, the whole bit. And I thought, oh, well, this will be interesting. But it was pretty well separated from the bar. You could certainly hear them uh, sort of cheering at opportune moments for the Broncos throughout the game. But when the game was over, I uh, simply paid my bill, gave a little knuckle bump to the one of the Bears fan in the bar and slipped out because I didn't really want to deal with all them. I'm sure they were heartily disappointed. Well, I watched it at home, and unfortunately, I made the decision to watch the Vikings and the Packers game before that, mm. and I had to watch some of the weirdest uh, called game that I've seen, but then I thought, well, it's the Packers, so um, I should be used to seeing them get all the calls, but but so by the time 3.25 Central Time rolled around, I was already so frustrated because of watching this Packers game and then watching this Bears game didn't make me feel great for 59 and a half minutes, but let's, let's get into that. Um, we've got a couple things that we wanted to go over in our, in our review. And, uh, I want to start with the Nagy play calling. Cause this is what we talked about as one of our keys. And I, I'm going to call it an overcorrection. I think that, uh, Nagy went a little bit too far the other way and that he was he called a ton of runs. But I think there was a lot of positives there. Right. So the first first positive is that we have clearly established David Montgomery as the lead back at 18 carries. Uh, you know, didn't rack up the yards uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but he was clearly the lead back. We did see Tariq Cohen take some snaps from the backfield, including, I think, four carries. And I think that they use Cordell Cordero Patterson appropriately. He had that one really great explosive run out of the backfield, but they didn't, I didn't see him out in a lot of routes. He wasn't targeted at least in a lot of routes. And so I think they might've actually figured the running back room out after week one. What'd you think of that? Yeah, they, they got the memo about Patterson, right? When I said, put Patterson back on the shelf and say that you've got 45 carries in the mainline offense for the rest of the year. It seemed like they, they kind of heard that and, and maybe that was the same sentiment they had and, again, used him as uh, something to keep Denver off balance, not something to try and hammer into the line on a regular basis. And I thought that was good. Good to see Tariq Cohen in the backfield lined up as a running back, taking running back snaps. He's not just a slot receiver. He can play in both places and certainly, you know, again, was effective as somebody they have to match up with with a lot of speed and quickness out of the backfield. But Montgomery, the clear number one, we didn't even mention Mike Davis, was not a clean balance between Montgomery and Davis. Montgomery clearly the lead back, and I think we all think that's okay. And while it was a I will call it a slight overcorrection. The offense, I think, benefited from that. And I, I know benefited kind of in air quotes. Um, you didn't see a ton of benefit there. But I think if they had reverted to the all-pass lineup that we saw from the first game, it would have, you know, we might not have come out of there. The Bears might not have come out of Denver with a victory. So, yes, a little bit too heavy on the run side, but I'm not going to fault Nagy for that because he didn't shy away from it. And that was my my takeaway from the first game is that after the first half, he basically just shut the run down and that we both thought was a negative. So if you went a little too far the other way, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, 
I th- I'm going to call it an overcorrection just because I think that they could have done a better job with the play action. I think we'll get into that in a little bit too, but um, definitely happy to see Montgomery in the lead role. And I, you know, they weren't all perfect, but I think you're going to have games like that. I've been, I've been looking into a lot of Bears history stuff and you'll find games where, you know, Peyton had, you know, 25 carries and he didn't break a hundred yards. And, you know, sometimes games are like that. And I know it's a different era of football. Don't get me wrong. But um, I think that's fine if you, if you still commit to the run and uh, it's not there because I do think it sets up other things. And, and I think particularly with uh, fighting the altitude that they did, uh, keeping the offense on the field for as, long as possible and getting that clock running, trying to shorten that game down. I do think it was important because by the end of the game, the defense was absolutely gassed, but we'll get to that in a minute too. So I want to talk about Trubisky first. Um, Trubisky, I think it's fair to say still not, still did not look very good. Um, I think a couple throws early on uh, a couple play action passes that I saw worked really well. And I think we need to give him more of that. I think the over the overarching theme of his day passing was he just didn't go down the field at all. I just like that one throw, obviously at the end, but uh, you just didn't see him throw downfield much. Everything was kind of underneath. I don't know if the reads just weren't there, if that's what was called, but um, he still had some of those just lateral throws uh, that we saw a lot in Green Bay. He just didn't go downfield much. And I just think, you know, if nothing else, we need to see him get better and fast or the drum is just continuing to beat and it's going to be louder. What do you think about Trubisky's performance? Yeah, I'm definitely going to mirror uh, a lot of the fact that he didn't play well again. Uh, he played better than he did in week one, uh, but only marginally. So um, when he did go down the field, he didn't complete those balls. Uh, he did have a few to both sides, and those were those deep downfield shots. Uh, that he struggled with early in camp and everybody got on him. Then he started to hit him more in the middle of camp and the end of camp. But those are those lower percentage passes for him. And I think they may always be that way. So there's there's a bit of a hand-in-hand with play calling we'll talk about. But did go downfield, didn't complete him. And then there's tons of that lateral stuff. I actually went back and looked at the passing charts for both week one and week two. I posted this on Twitter, but uh, I looked at his throws that were three yards or less from the line of scrimmage, and that includes throws behind the line. And there's just way too many of them. We've seen a lot of those. You can call them screens or flares or, or quick outs, um, you know, running by passing, whatever you want to call those. The offense is not getting a lot of production of the, out of those. And there's been like 22 to 25 of them over the first two weeks. And it's time to sort of cut those pieces out of the playbook. They've had very little success in terms of chunk plays, impact plays, any of that from any of those plays. And there's a lot of them. And if anything, they're just becoming high risk at this point. The defenders are starting to anticipate those things. They're jumping them. And if they pick one of those off, it's a pick six. So the fact is you're not getting anything positive. You're risking some big negatives. What's to lose, right? Get rid of those throws. And okay, EJ, what do you do instead? The piece of the field that's not being touched is right over the middle. And that's the part that Trubisky typically just threads the ball into. There have been very few throws to the middle, those crossing routes, little hook routes. Some people say it's the lack of having a tight end, that Trey Burton hasn't been there. There's other routes that you can run there, lots of them. Um, You can run double cross or scissors. There's lots of things you can put to the middle of the field. And Trubisky throws the ball really well there, and they're just not doing it. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Like you said, Play action worked. Give him some more of that. 
But my piece is this comes down to Nagy's play calls. He doesn't seem to be able to call a game so far, and it's two games in, not the end of the world, to build a rhythm, to build any kind of momentum, to keep his offense, you know, give him some gimmies and keep him on the field, especially in Denver. You talked about the defense being on the field and wearing out. It's because they played so many plays. There were so many three and outs or very short offensive drives with limited run plays that they just didn't eat a lot of clock and the defense was on the field a lot. And the offense is doing these little choppy three and five play drives and they're never getting their feet under them. And that comes down to a combination of execution, but it also comes down to a play caller not getting cute and playing calling things he knows will get his offense some easy completions and get him rolling a little bit. And Nagy either seems unable or unwilling to do that. And we're going to need to see that adjustment out of him as a coach. Yeah. And you mentioned the middle of the field and, you know, the, all the rule changes over the last couple of decades have really opened that up. You know, in the seventies and eighties, you wouldn't go over the middle of the field because you just, you're, you destroy your receivers, but yeah, those are hospital throws. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But that's not the case anymore. And so tight ends and good slot receivers, you know, that's, that's where they live. And, and you just haven't seen the catches out of Burton. Obviously he missed week one, um, but you haven't seen the catches out of Burton and you haven't seen the catches out of Anthony Miller. And so where, you know, where are those guys? They seem a little lost right now in the offensive play calling. And I'd like to see those guys pick it back up. There's a reason why Burton had a fairly decent year last year and Miller had seven touchdowns. I mean, the, these guys are talented and, and they can take advantage of the middle of the field. So let's, let's add that back into the offensive play calling. So, Anything else on Trubisky before we go to the defense? Uh, I want to go back to Miller for a second. Um, I think we need to see more out of Trubisky, and, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show, but nobody's talking about Miller. Um, I'm not sure he's terribly healthy. He's wearing a shoulder brace. Um, he had some limited availability at the end of camp. There was a sort of willy or wony thing. We have not seen really him make a large impact in the first couple of weeks. Um, his snap count was way down on week one. I'm not sure he's fully there. I'm a huge Anthony Miller supporter. I loved him in the draft. Um, but he's one of those guys that I'm wondering what's going on with him right now, if they're hiding him a little bit, or it, maybe he hasn't made that second year jump. He's been extremely quiet and nobody's mentioned it. So Miller's one of those things that's on my radar to watch for the next couple of weeks and see if those snaps and impacts start to come or if he stays just sort of hidden, which um, would worry me quite a bit, actually. Well, uh, actually, that would really explain a lot, because if those are the two guys that would exploit that area, Burton and Miller, and they've both been dealing with injury issues, one publicly, uh, you know, Burton more yep. publicly has had injury issues, and Miller, we know, had off-season shoulder surgery. That would make a lot of sense in that they're, they're saying, okay, we can't count on these guys yet. We need to kind of bring them along slowly. And so they're crafting a game plan that does not involve those two players and what they do best. That would explain it, certainly. I mean, let's hope that they get back to full health and we're able to exploit that. I wonder where Riley Ridley is. Is he been inactive, I think, both games? Yeah. Um, you know, who else can maybe take take advantage of that part of the field? I don't know. But, well, Robinson uh, can. That's one of the things is Robinson can play in the slot as well. You can line him up outside, motion him to the slot, and he's actually very effective inside, a lot like um, Brandon Marshall used to be when they moved him inside. He's got great size, knows how to use it. And, of course, we've been talking about Allen Robinson just killing guys so far um still looks very good look good in this game and and it's just you know getting routes that take advantage of the guys that are healthy and putting them in a place where trubisky's a little bit more comfortable throwing 
So going forward, Trubisky, I think he just needs to improve measurably every week. He, Like I said, he improved a little bit this week, but he both has to eliminate his mistakes and start to stack some of those more positive plays. He can't do one or the other. He's far enough in the hole right now that if we're going to start feeling good about Mitch Trubisky as the starting quarterback of the Bears and, and sort of leader of this offensive team on a very talented defensive team, he's got to do that. Or like you said, that drumbeat is only going to get louder every week. Yeah, uh, he needs to put up a decent game this week, a good game the following week, and probably a great game in London against the Raiders. But let's go to the defense. We're both very pleased with the defense, and so let's focus on them a little bit. <clears throat> I think one of the one of the things I picked out when I was replaying this, which is always good to watch it with the sound off. You already know what the result is. You can kind of watch the game a little bit more comfortably and not freak out because you know it's coming. And I saw at least three. I think you could probably count more, but like three balls that really should have been picked. There was a mm-hmm. there was a ball that uh, Flacco floated because he was getting hit, and Fuller saw it, broke on it, and slipped. That's that was a pick six. Like if he keeps yep. his feet, that's six points the other way. There's the ball that Eddie broke up, that Eddie Jackson broke up, that he he normally grabs, and that looked like he keeps his feet. He's taking it back to the house. So those are two huge plays there. And then, of course, there's the the Leonard Floyd uh, near pick where I, I don't know that he makes that play nine times out of ten or anything like that, but like probably a 50-50 proposition. And yeah, he holds on to that. It's game over, right? Yeah. And, and uh, what's funny is when I was rewatching it and the Floyd play came up, I went, oh, and I kind of jumped out of my seat. And my wife goes, you know what happened? <laughs> You watched it live. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But like, ah, I was right there. It was so close. Um, And and my point is like, one, like, that's that's a result of all the pressure that we're seeing from this front. But two, those plays are going to get made more times than not. And it was just unlucky, I think, overall that we didn't see those plays being made. This game had this game could have been broken open by the defense a lot earlier than what it was. And we would have, you know, a slightly different narrative about this game. But I just I really think that those are coming in it and to kind of continue that with the pressure. I was focusing in on Mac because it's a lot of fun to watch Mac rush. But he had one sack, probably should have had two. And I think I counted four other rushes where he was right there. And um, th- these sacks are going to start to stack up. Like the, these plays are coming. What, 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 were, what were your takeaways on the defense? Yeah, we'll we'll work backwards. I'll follow you with Mac and and Garrett Bowles. The the broadcast team. Uh, I couldn't hear all their commentary being in a loud bar, but you could see how much the camera team was focusing on Garrett Bowles. He was having a terrible day from the get go. He had coaches coming over trying to help him. He had teammates consoling him, and you just you got to feel for the guy a little bit. That's that's just a bad day at work when you line up against somebody who is who easily outclasses you and you have very little hope of stopping. Um, you can keep grinding and, and try and limit his effectiveness, but you, you're just not going to beat him all day. And Garrett Bowles looked frustrated from very early on in that game, both physically and mentally. So well, let me, let me, let me break in real yeah, quick go ahead. with that because um, the color guy was Schlereth. Yeah. So as an offensive lineman, he actually, when I, I have issues with every crew, you know, they have their weaknesses and strengths. But mm-hmm. the, the interesting thing about Schlereth is that he'll actually focus on offensive line play and he'll talk yeah. about it. And obviously he knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so he was really hard on him. 
And he was hard on him, not in the way like, oh, you keep getting beat. He was hard on him in that, like, he would react to all these holding calls he was getting. And Schlereth's like, don't shake your head. You, If you don't understand what you're doing wrong, then you don't deserve to be in this league right now. <laughs> that, that, that's, what, that's what he was, like, saying. He was basically reading him, like, you know you're getting beat. And if you don't, then you shouldn't be in the league. Like yeah. you're you, all of these penalties are real and they should be called. And so I was like, wow, that's that was pretty fun. That's refreshing. That's the opposite of a Green Bay game, right? That, that yeah, was exactly. fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel for Garrett Bowles a little bit, but not too much. I'm certainly happy that Mac had the day he had. And really the thing that um, impressed me as I was watching in real time, which is, like you mentioned, a very different experience than watching after after you know what's going on, is as I was sitting there in the bar watching by myself. I want Bears fans to be able to think back like 17 games and think of what the defense looked like pre-Mac with Fangio, but pre-Mac already had Hicks, had Floyd, had Goldman, but no Mac. And Fangio was, you know, it's been well chronicled that he was, you know, somewhat hesitant to blitz more than, well, somewhat hesitant to blitz, period. But there were so many rushes where the Bears just didn't get pressure and the opposing quarterback didn't matter who it was just had three, four, five seconds, and you just got so used to that. And you knew the Bears were going to lose because nobody can cover for five or six seconds in this league, right? right? Somebody's going to come open. And that was the norm. And now, flip to now, new coordinator, obviously Mac at full strength, um, Floyd playing like a somewhat new player. And it's odd now when the Bears don't get pressure. Almost right. all of their rushes were collapsing the pocket. Almost all of their rushes were getting home in three seconds or less, or at least pressuring Flacco to get rid of the ball, move, roll out, toss it away, um, tuck it under, whatever. I mean, if he had more than three seconds, it was like, come on, we expect it now. The norm is pressure. And when they don't get it, it looks weird. And that's a complete flip from 17 games ago when you just look and, man, they just don't get any pressure. They just don't get any pressure. They just don't get any pressure. And right. now it's it that really struck me that all of their rushes are creating pressure now and and quick too. I mean, we're we're talking about three seconds, three and a half max. There are very few plays where Flacco could stand back there or even you know step up in the pocket and create an extra second. That space just wasn't there. So that part of the defense looks really good. Yeah, they were gassed at the end of the day. We talked about that a little bit, but I'm with you. And we talked about this at the at the top of the season, really, that all that pressure that we were predicting was going to come. It's going to be a tremendous boon for Fuller, for Jackson, eventually for Clinton Dix. They're, they're going to get their hands on more balls because you saw the loopers that, that Flacco threw. He threw at least three loopers where he, you know, either got hit or was just rushing so terribly that the ball came out with almost no zip. And you're right. Those are going to end up in the bears hands and, you know, probably will go for some really positive plays, but those are coming. It's coming together. Yeah, I, you know, I want to go back to that. The defense was gassed. And what I think was interesting was Fangio's decision-making at the end. And, you know, oh, well, he he converted. So what are you talking about? But here's my thinking is you're at home. You've just watched your offense march down twice. Your quarterback gave it away once. You just scored. You have the opportunity to tie it and take it into overtime where your offense – can continue to take advantage of its uh, fitness advantage, mm-hmm. right? Because that defense was just done. They, yep. they zoomed in on Roquan, and he just looked like he was just like in pain almost, yeah. trying to get get trying to get breath. He goes for two. He gets a delay of game penalty, 
Mm-hmm. So he says, okay, kick it. They back him up five. <laughs> Screen jumps off sides, which sucks because the game is over because yeah. they missed the extra point. Yeah. And then for some reason, they place the ball at the one. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't understand because the Broncos had a penalty. So that should have been half the distance to the goal. Try from the three and a half yard line, not the one. Right. So I don't get this. Why, why they why they put it at the one. I actually sent a tweet into NFL officiating and haven't heard anything back. But, like, I I'm really am just curious. I'm just <laughs> curious. Like, I think it was just a mistake. But, like, yeah. that that was weird. So they go for it from the one. They get it. They're up. Okay. I get it. But, like, I would have played for the tie and played for overtime if I was Vic Fangio. So I thought that was, that was really weird because I don't think the Bears defense could have lasted another series. They definitely look like they were not – ripe for that let's say i would have been upset with a straight up overtime uh if the broncos won the toss that uh, somebody actually tweeted to me on twitter like hey you know the broncos are going to get this ball in overtime and win it because the bears are gassed and i was like "Mm, yeah i think that sounds more true than i'd like to admit but they they definitely look tired but we we didn't talk about fuller at all and we really should because if fuller doesn't make that play on the goal line come up with a pick which is a very solid pick like that was an athletic play this this game doesn't end the way that you know it probably does uh probably did so that was a huge play by fuller really swung the momentum did come up with the pick that we're talking about you know will come that one actually came and was a huge turning point of the game because they were they were down inside the 10 and look out like they're going to roll in that defense is getting tired fuller makes a massive play to to swing that game and give the bears a chance and that's he deserves credit for that that was a that was a great great play absolutely and i'm still not sure his knee was down when he slid but we'll move on from that sure um the next point that i want to make is el conquistador yeah. mr eddie pinheiro coming through and if you missed the video, uh, a mega punt, our punter, O'Donnell, he uh, called him Conquistador, which I love. So that's his new nickname, at least for me. Um, oh, I'm set with that. Him. That is absolutely sticky. Yes, yes. So he was absolutely perfect all day. All of his field goals were were great. You know, true shots, perfect. And then his kickoffs look great, too, out of the back of the end zone. Yes, it's thin air. It's mile high. We get it. But, like, kicked very well. And obviously his confidence um, is is sky high right now. So good on him. And then, of course, we have to mention that the one play that Trubisky did make, the one big play that he did make, was that great throw to Robinson and the very mindfulness to call a timeout right away, right when Robinson got down and gave himself up um, with one second left. I mean, we're talking split second away from hitting zero. So uh, very mindful ending uh, you know, great headsy play by Trubisky, great headsy play by Robinson, and just nails, daggers, whatever you want to say, by Conquistador to win the game. Yeah, you know, a lot of credit to the kicker. He has had uh, a, a long and winding road. He's had a, a crazy kicker competition, uh, you know, his up and down moments through camp, and managed to stay really positive and aggressive through all that. I actually tweeted out earlier in the game that, you know, hey, it's not what you really want to focus on at this point, but I really like the fact that Pinero plays with some passion with an edge. It's clearly important that, you know, doing well is clearly important to him, and I can respect that. Then he comes up, you know, uh, an hour later and wins the game on a huge, huge kick. 
So good on them. Uh, it, it puts to bed, at least for the moment, the, the Bears don't have a kicker. Uh, one thing I want to mention that's funny that I watched on the replay, and again, this is the difference in replay and, you know, at the moment in the bar, seeing if they're going to win the game. Uh, nobody's talking about Trubisky's mechanics on that throw. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> think, I don't think anybody even watched it, but I watched the all 22 of that throw. Right. Um, and he steps up to create time, which is great. He's got a ton of time. First, all credit to the offensive line. They gave him a tremendous, just impenetrable pocket. Nobody gets close to him. Maybe the, de- the Broncos defense is a little bit tired too, but the, the offensive line really stepped up, gave him a ton of time. They gave him a big channel to step up, make the throw. He steps up quite a ways. He actually steps up almost five yards to make that throw. When he lets that ball go, he sends it off one leg, his left arm sticking out straight, and basically kind of sidearm, three-quarter arms that thing. And you know, nobody says anything about the mechanics because that ball was on time, on the money, and got there with some zip. But if you go back, it was, you know, mechanically, it was a not even a great on-the-run throw. It was just a wing-it throw. Wings it, nails him in the chest. He gets down. He actually has the presence of mind to sort of jump into another player's legs so that right. he's called down um, immediately. All that's really heads up but i just think it's funny that you know trubisky's mechanics have been this the subject of sort of endless speculation and you know he makes this huge throw at the end of the game which doesn't negate all the other throws he didn't make throughout the game but nobody says anything about it because they win the game it was a rope yeah no it got there absolutely and that's the bottom line with any throw you know any fan of philip rivers will tell you that you know hey form is all not that important it's the you know does it get there and does it get there on time and it did both of those things so nobody's going to talk about that i just think it's funny the only other thing that i want to bring up from this game was was penalties and and i i don't want to be the guy that's like well you know this this happened this happened broncos fans rightfully are irritated with the call on chubb uh Bradley Chubb on on Trubisky that late hit or whatever they called it on this I don't know what they called it it was yep. it was phantom absolutely should be upset about that that was a bad call Bears fans are right to clap back and say okay but what about the one on Goldman what about the one on Floyd you know one of those led to points and it's a different ball game if you don't have that and so I think the the big point and, and there was another really bad holding holding call on Charles Leno where he didn't hold him at all and for some reason he got a hold holding call but I, I i just i'm a little worried that that's just what what football is now and i think that's really bad and they've they really have to clean this up and i the the worst call that i saw all day though and i i alluded to it earlier but in the green bay minnesota game the the vikings scored a touchdown to make it 21 14 right before half and they stopped the game to go up to the booth and I'm thinking like, that was a pretty clear touchdown. I don't really understand what's happening right now. They come back and they called pass interference from the booth, offensive pass interference from the booth. And I'm like, what? And they basically got uh, Dalvin cook coming out of the backfield and they called it basically like, like he was run blocking or something. I, I mean, I didn't really see it like that. He looked like he was trying to get into his route and collided with the guy that was in front of him. Okay, I guess the bigger point is, like, they went and found that. Like, that wasn't called on the field, evaluated, yeah, 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 that was offensive pass interference, or no, 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 that wasn't, we'll let it go. They went in and found that. It wasn't called on the field. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, you, you're now calling penalties 
from a review that weren't called before that blew my mind and really killed uh, i think the vikings well Kirk Cousins killed their chances, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it really killed their momentum a little bit because they had to settle for a field goal and it was 21 to 10, not 21 14. And, sure. you know, the Vikings only lost by five. It really changed the complexion of the game. Yeah. To make a baseball reference, that's a little like calling balls and strikes from the press box. And I, I just, you know, I didn't see it in real time. I, I have seen the replay. Again, the method is what gets you there. It's not necessarily the play by Cook. It's the fact that, again, stopped, found it from the booth. Um, yeah, it's a big play, uh, but you just don't see that on other plays. And it starts to call into question, like, all right, what's the standard for doing this? But back to the the penalties on Chubb, Goldman, and Floyd, because it's to me it's so rare that offsetting badly called penalties of the same type occur in the same game. Right. There are a lot of makeup calls, and, and every football fan has seen makeup calls. Bad call for one team ends up being a bad call for another team, but it's usually a different penalty. Here, you know, the calls on Goldman and Floyd earlier in the game, not good. Again, very solid clean hits. I saw a great tweet from Sam Farmer, the LA Times columnist, uh, now Hall of Fame journalist, and he said, Don't show me what bad hits are on the quarterback, show me the acceptable ones. Show right. me the good ones. Show me what that looks like, because I'm not sure you know. And I thought that was a very sort of prescient tweet. That And here it was that the people are like, oh, they called it badly. But a lot of people correctly pointed out, well, they called it badly both ways. It was at least consistent. It was consistently bad. But we had it on both sides, and it's the same call. And both fan bases, like you said, have an absolute gripe or grievance that, okay, it looked like Chubb or Goldman or Floyd tackled a player and you're calling that he just tackled him too hard i mean that seemed to be the deal right it wasn't that it was too high or at the head or at the knees or rolling into their ankles or any other any of the other bad stuff they just nailed him and you know our hard hits now illegal and a lot of players uh, both current and former came out on twitter and said you know knock it off lance briggs you know clapped back on somebody else's tweet and was like yeah this time's 100 right tell me what's legal because like make hard hits okay again because those looked all three of those look like legal hits make hard hits okay again i kind of like that put that on a bumper sticker all right well i think we're ready to end this chapter and uh, look forward to the Washington game. Uh, But before we do, let's take a quick break for an ad. All right, EJ, let's talk about Washington. I wrote a couple notes here, kind of watched their first two games of the year, and, you know, I'm going to be working with their, one of their writers at our sister site. But, you know, Washington comes into this one, at 0-2, they had losses against the Eagles and the Cowboys. I think they played both relatively close. The Cowboys game kind of got away from them late. Um, but they were up on the up on the Eagles early. They're starting Case Keenum at quarterback. They've got uh, Dwayne Haskins, the rookie, behind him. I'm not quite sure what the plan is in terms of how many games Keenum, Keenum will get. It probably depends a lot on record, I would, I would assume. Uh The reason why they have this duo is because Alex Smith is going to spend this year recovering from a broken leg. And I went back and look at Jay Gruden's record, uh, the head coach record. First year with Washington was 4-12. and 
And then the last four years, he's basically been within a game of 500 all, all four seasons. Last two years at seven and nine. So um, kind of a, brought them up into mediocrity, kind of maybe in a way he's kind of the new Jeff Fisher. I don't know. I knew that was coming. Yeah. You just can't say seven and nine and not bring up Jeff it, Fisher. It's hard to not. Yeah. And I kind of don't think they're going to sniff seven wins this year. Um, their biggest playmaker right now, I, from the two games I watch, it really appears to be a rookie wide receiver by the name of uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, speedster out of Ohio State. Did you look at his tape coming out? I love McLaurin. He's a guy that really raised his stock at the Senior Bowl. Really, uh, you tend to see guys, again, uh, McLaurin was not the leading receiver at Ohio State, sort of the second receiver at Ohio State. And when you see guys from bigger programs that go in, sometimes they go into those um either senior all-star games or, or just all-star games. And they really stand up against national competition for the first time. And he didn't look out of place at all. He didn't look intimidated. He looked very fast in and out of his breaks. And that's really when he kind of got on my radar. And then normally I don't pay much attention to pro days, but he had a just sterling pro day in terms of his hands, the routes he ran, um, looked very pro ready. And a lot of college receivers don't necessarily look that they play in systems that um, are a little bit less pro ready but ohio state quite famously runs a, a you know very relatable offense to the nfl and mclaurin looked completely comfortable that day in front of all the nfl brass and i thought here's a guy that has a a good chance to to make the leap certainly and and to play fairly decently if he gets a spot and of course he's going to washington he's got a spot open um they get rid of deshaun jackson he goes back to the eagles and it opens up some some snaps for him and he's taken a ton of advantage of that over the first two weeks it's great to see yeah he's looked really good and for you fantasy players he's probably off of your leagues by now but if for some reason he's hanging around in your waiver wire go get him because i think he's going to be good don't start him this week against the bears but uh, <laughs> he's definitely someone it looks like he's got a chance to be their number one going forward at least this year uh their backfield uh was supposed to be led by darius geis a pretty talented running back in his second year but he's he suffered a season-ending acl last year and then coming back uh he actually hurt his other knee right now so he's on the ir i think he's probably going to be their designated to to return guy but uh they're going to be rolling with adrian peterson in this game can you believe we're still facing adrian peterson all these years later i'm just wishing they got him later in the schedule because these these days adrian peterson's still an amazing back in september and october but later in the year starts to wear down um definitely you can see the wear on his tires and he's got plenty of that and it stacks up on him later in the year and he's just less effective so i'm a bit wishing this game came later in the schedule at least with peterson because he's still got a little bit of flash early in the year but it, it tends to sort of flare out pretty quickly so he could make some plays here. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting that, but I wouldn't be terribly surprised by it either. But he was a healthy scratch in week one, and Jake Gruden was quoted as something like, yeah, someone was like, he's a healthy scratch? It's Adrian Peterson. What are you doing? He's like, well, you know, if I need 30 carries from the I formation, maybe we'll activate him. <laughs> and, and then yep. Geis went, yeah, it's pretty funny. And then Geis went down week one, and here's old Adrian Peterson mm -hmm. suiting up and starting for for Washington in week two. So he didn't really look that great in 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 the in the game against the Cowboys. But, um, you know, like you say, he's he's a talented back. He's still got some juice left and it is early in the year. So I'm sure he has some good runs left in him. Let's just hope that he waits a couple weeks to, to bring those out. Uh, on the defensive side, 
Uh, they're led by Ryan Kerrigan, a really good uh, outside rush linebacker. I don't think it's talked nearly enough about. I think he's really, really pretty talented as a pass rusher and a pretty solid linebacker overall. Uh, newly signed safety Landon Collins, who they got from the Giants. And Josh Norman, the mercurial corner. I think we can say that confidently. <laughs> kind of a different guy. Seems like um, he has to keep up these days, but yeah, the formulary mercurial corner. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. 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 He had, he had some interesting coverage. Uh, oh. uh, he just didn't seem like he was really playing any kind of coverage and Michael Gallup beat him down the field and uh, Dak just missed him. Otherwise that would have been a pretty big game, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what Josh Norman has left. And I assume that Norman's going to be traveling with uh, Allen Robinson this week, but um, we'll see there. Uh, defense first two games, not looking great. They've given up a lot of points, 32 to the Eagles, 31 to the Cowboys. So EJ three keys to success for the bears in this game. Um, what do you got? What's your first one? Well, I, we already talked about it and Trubisky, it's kind of, it's the combo platter, right? We've talked about it the first two weeks and it really remains. We haven't answered those questions and it's the combo platter of Nagy coming up with a play call that adjusts to the reality of what Trubisky is for right now. We know what Trubisky is capable of. We've seen him do it before, but he doesn't seem to be able to do it right now. So Nagy's got to adjust to that and create a game plan that creates a little bit of momentum, some easy wins, um, focuses on Trubisky's strengths, some of those rollouts. And Trubisky has to, again, do what we said at the top. He's got to make some more positive plays and limit some of those just sort of panicked mistake ridden plays where he's missing guys that are wide open or whatever. And I really do think those two go hand in hand. It's it's the blame doesn't rest on either one. It rests on both. And we've got to see improvement from both of them against a defense that, as you noted, has given up more than 30 to in division for them competition, the Eagles and the Cowboys. So I'm hoping their defense continues to be a little bit disc, you know, discombobulated and the bears can take advantage. Yeah, and I think the one thing that I'm looking for, maybe I'm just not going to find it in this offense. I think I'm kind of going back and forth a little bit with our colleague Robert Schmitz on Twitter, but I really want to see the Bears utilize play action as much as some of these teams that are having so much success with it. I mentioned it before, but Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, Dak Prescott with the Cowboys, and of course Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs. These offenses are not that far away from what I think Nagy's offense is capable of, and they are leaning on play action a lot. They are calling it in the 40 to 50% range of their passes. And I think a lot of our play action isn't even what I would call traditional play action. There's a lot of RPOs. And then, you know, one of the play action fakes last week was the weird double reverse fake screen that Trubisky almost threw to the other team. That was was so terrible. Yeah, it was so hard to watch. It was bad. You know, so if you want to come at me, be like, what are you talking about? You want more of that? No, I don't want more of that. That's not what I consider play action. I consider play action something that sets up an intermediate throw or a deep shot. Um, You know, if it's there and I'm the three of them early on that were good. You know, the the first two led to first downs and the third one was a wide open Taylor Gabriel that that Trubisky couldn't hit. But that's you want more wide open receivers. Like let's give Trubisky more chances to throw to wide open receivers. That's a good thing. Right. And so six plays, I think you could say were more play action out of 27 passes, but I think it was more like three or four 
of what I would consider more true play action, that number needs to just go up. And I just, uh, there should be people in the building that are looking around the league and saying, wait, 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 why are these guys having so much success? They're throwing a lot of play action. We need to be adding this into our offensive game plan. And so I'm going to keep tracking it until I see it get to a point that I'm happy with. Maybe that's an all-year project, but at least I'm going to track it for the next couple of weeks and just see if that goes up and see if the success goes up with that. Yeah, the other thing I'd mention about play action is the play action shots that you were talking about earlier in the game were pretty well executed, and if play action's going to work, people think it's tied to running success, and it's not. Right. It's not tied to running success. You can have success with play action even when you don't run. There are numbers that back this up. What you do have to do is execute play action well. You can't fake play action, right? Play action is a fake, and you have to execute that well. And one of the straight play action drops later in the game was this little sort of half-hot potato, like half-hearted give to the running back i gotta turn really quick and look that's not gonna fool the defense right gotta sell the fake and you've got to do it cleanly and trubisky needs some work on that you're you're right about the play balance needing more play action but he also has to execute that play action fake better if he does he's doing himself a favor he buys himself an extra half second yes he has to turn his back to the defense but what he gets is a clean half second of sort of uh, indecision from the linebackers if it works the way it's supposed to but if he just kind of half-heartedly like stabs his hand at the running back they're not going to buy that NFL linebackers are pretty darn savvy at reading their keys you've got to execute a fake and if he needs to know how to do that go watch Peyton Manning right Peyton Manning was famous for executing play action uh, and running plays exactly the same way over and over and over again. It's because he practiced it religiously into his, you know, into the later part of his career. He knew that execution was the key and making it look the same. And Trubisky hasn't figured that out yet. Um, at least not late in the game. He didn't stay with that discipline. The first two or three were pretty good. Um, the one he ran later in the game was just kind of sad. It's like that's you're just creating an action that doesn't give you any benefit. You know, there was one in the Green Bay game, actually, where I'm sure that, that the people that count these stats counted it as a play action. And Trubisky takes the snap. The running back carries out the fake, like comes over like he's going to mm-hmm. take the hand up, carries out the fake. Trubisky never makes a motion. Yep, he airballs it. He just completely airballs. It was a terrible pass. Yeah. And it's like it goes back to that. Like part of the play is to like get your rhythm. Yeah. And so and so by just ignoring the fake one, you're not doing yourself any favors. And two, you're not in rhythm. Yeah. Throws and the timing it's a off for sure. Terrible throw. And so, um, man, I just I need to see more of it. Um, I really want to see more of it because that's a really fun offense when that works. And yeah. I think we're seeing three very successful offenses right now with different quarterbacks that I don't see why Trubisky can't do some of that stuff. So yeah. um, I think the other one that I have is that the Bears defense is going to want to and need to capitalize on, you know, the, the gunslinger ways of Case Keenum. The, the thing about Keenum is, I just I don't know, I just think he's got this mentality like, I'm going to keep slinging it until I'm taken out of the lineup and put on the bench. He's a lot like uh, Fitzpatrick, where it's like, all right, let's just do this thing. Let's just throw it up. So he's not afraid. Like, he no. throws the ball a lot, and he's willing to throw into coverage. And it worked really well when he was in Minnesota because he had two really good wide receivers that would make contested catches. 
they may not have that in Washington. Um, and he's always going to be susceptible to a really good defense capitalizing on this. He's going to see more pressure in his face. I just, this is the game where that Bears defense needs to step up and take the ball away from Keenum and probably score. Like that, that's how I see this as uh, one of the keys to the game is defense needs to put some points on the board. It'd be nice if they did for sure. What I want them to do is not sort of uh, over count on that piece. Case, Case Keenan will always throw it up. He, he did in college. He's continued to do that. But don't get um, don't jump the gun on that. Right. Play your keys. Play the way you need to. Don't overcommit to Adrian Peterson getting a couple of runs early because he probably will. And then start tightening up, because if you do, a guy like Terry McLaurin is going to is going to beat you deep. Uh, so you got to stay balanced, right? You can't want that pick six too much. Play your play your straight defense, you know, and you'll get them. They'll come, but don't be going, oh, yeah, it's coming. I can get it, right? Because then you're going to take the one bad step. You're going to overcommit. You're going to get off balance, and somebody's going to get behind you. And, and in a low-scoring game, that could really turn it. So I think if there's a key to Washington winning it, that's kind of it. And if the Bears want to counter that, They've got to stay balanced in that front seven. They've been playing really well against the run. Just continue to do that. Don't freak out if Adrian Peterson gets a couple of chunk runs. That's not going to be the difference in the game. The difference in the game is if you then sort of overcompensate for that, get a little tight on your coverage, and somebody like McLaurin gets behind you. So, yeah, do we know the status of Amukamara? Because he went out with an injury. We saw him rotate. Um, Has there been a follow-up on that? I haven't seen it if there has been. I mean, he came back in the game after he went yeah. out. So, um, I mean, I'm assuming he's okay. But, I, you know, it's, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. So yeah. this is well before any sort of yeah. early I'm hoping he's passing. a healthy go. If he doesn't, it definitely puts a little more stress on those outside corners. We've talked about that over and over again. So we'll see. Something to watch. Do you, are you at the point, and again, we, we've talked about this offline. And so maybe this is a two-parter. But are you at the point where you feel much more relaxed when the Bears defense is on the field? Uh, I feel excited. <laughs> it's different. I, I yeah, can't excited. wait to see what yeah. they're going to do, right? They're, the pressure is always there. That creates opportunities. It just feels like, it feels a little bit, not exactly, but it feels a little bit like when Hester used to come out to field a punt, right? There was just this sense of anticipation about, hey man, you got Hick and Max and Floyd and you got all the guys in the, you know, in the backfield that can take the ball away. You've got Roquan Smith roaming around, like something's going to happen, right? Something good's going to happen. I get excited, not about, you know, them giving up a play, but them making a play. And that's, that's not something you usually get out of a defense. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, just it's not quite those old days where you're like you just feel more comfortable with Erlacher's unit on the field and you just like, you know, Grossman comes out and you're like, oh no, like just just don't just don't screw this up or I, I don't know it's that not, I'm to not, the yeah. I'm not to the Grossman point, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And so the second part of that is and I think you agree with me. We talked about this a little bit again offline, but September football can be really weird. And we're making no excuses or anything like that for the offensive play calling or Trubisky or anything like that. But it's two games, the season's 16 long. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen early September that don't make any sense when you, when you're in December and January and you look back and you're like, Hey, remember in September when this guy looked really good or yeah, this, this guy threw for 500 yards and you're like, uh, yeah, it happens. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I know that that's it could be seen as saying like ah don't don't worry don't worry and I, all I'll say is like 
let's let's just look at this as a the next three games. Let's see what what this offense can do to grow and get better uh, going into the bye week. And if they can show some improvement and get back to a level that they were playing at last year, um, I think we can maybe take a take a breath and know that this team can be competitive moving forward. And so just, you know, September's weird. And that was playing a game in elements, and they won. Like, Bears fans, they won a game. Be happy. That's an amazing stat, too, is that in 20 years since they've opened their new stadium, the Broncos had lost exactly one game in September. In 20 years. They're 19-1. and That's staggering. It was was 17-1. And and now it's seventeen and two. Yeah. The stat, uh, Ken got it a little wrong. Oh, Ken got it wrong. Okay. Yep. So I, again, you know, nineteen years now they've lost two games for exactly. their openers. That's a thing. Like you can say all you want, but statistically, uh, you know, the numbers run much more to the middle than that in the NFL. And that is that is an outlier. That's that's a thing. So it's pretty cool that they pulled one out. Um, and. I'm with you that the first two weeks of the NFL season, we always forget that they're really weird both weeks. The opener is just wacky because a lot of teams don't play their starters in the preseason, and it's just weird. It carries over into the second week, and then it starts to level out. And if Bears fans need an example, they don't need to look farther back than last year. Look at the last, you know, the first three weeks of last year. There was a lot of gloom and doom, and this sucks, and they're, they're not picking it up. And then along comes the Tampa Bay game, and all of a sudden everybody's like, Whoa! So let's let's hope that something similar happens. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying same thing as UJB. Hold your breath. It's you know we'll see what we have uh, coming up in the next you know six to eight weeks. I'm with you. We can reassess at the bye, and then first couple games after that. Let's let's take a breath then. Yeah, I met, after the week one, I tweeted out something about the Patriots. It's like, oh, we're just skipping the part where the Patriots don't look very good in September and we're just skipping ahead. And that's, I mean, part of that's like, man, they look really good. Like yeah. <laughs> the Patriots can be really tough. But the other part is like Belichick is on record all the time talking about how they don't know what they are in September. They're mm-hmm. figuring it out. Yep. And and it doesn't take, it takes them until October to, to really know what kind of team they have moving forward. And that's, that's true with most teams. The bears defense looks like they've come together early. Great. Mm-hmm. Now we need to see it from the offense. So, yep. Um, all right, well, let's let's get to our predictions. Uh, so this is the why the Bears will whatever win or lose this game. So for me, I'm going to I'm going to say that they win this game. And I think the offense is going to look better. Incremental progress, I think, is what I'm looking for. Uh, I think that Washington has the type of defense that, you know, most quarterbacks are going to be able to take advantage of, at least, you know, certainly Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott have. Uh, and so I think that's that's exactly what's going to happen there. And then I think the Bears defense is just going to tee off on someone like Case Keenum because he is going to sling the ball around, and a lot of times he's going to throw it to the wrong jersey. So um, th- those combination of things, Trubisky, for all the faults, has taken care of the ball pretty well this year. And so I just think on those two things alone, the talent level on paper, uh, Bears are the better team. They're not playing at altitude. Uh they're, they're going to start getting things figured out, and I think they're going to be able to take this one on Monday night. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'll say probably 16. 
Uh, I'm tempted to say 13, but I think I'm going to say 10 because the Bears, uh, the Bears defense is playing really well. So I'll say 16 to 10. I don't know that the offense is going to get it that well figured out. The Redskins defense has been putting up, you know, allowing a lot of points, but I'm I'm just not sure that the offense is going to get it figured. I think the defense is going to continue to play at an exceptionally high level. Um, I don't think Keenan and Peterson and McLaurin, you know, pose a huge threat. The Bears are going to be looking to keep that pressure up. They know right now the defense is carrying the team, and, and they're going to take that pretty seriously. So not a not a huge score for Washington, and uh, the Bears get a little better, but um, not much. I would hope they break it open, but I, I, I think it's a bit early to predict that. Uh, I'll, I'll go a little higher. I'll say 2010. I didn't give a score, so 20, 2010 sounds good to me. Yeah, sure. A win either way would be very nice because, boy, this week has been a lot nicer than last week. All right, well, let's uh, let's check in on the beer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll let you go first. So the red red ales are good. I, I'm I'm always pretty pleased with how red ales taste. I, I haven't met a lot that I don't like. It's not something that I grab a lot because it's not super exciting, but mm-hmm. it's a solid beer. And uh, Flying Dog does some good stuff, and this one's pretty good. So, yeah. I love the Western Standard. It starts off like a like a very clean lager, not particularly biter. You just bitey, just really straightforward. But it's got this tremendous finish that's mixed oak and vanilla. The vanilla I wasn't really expecting. The deal is they take regular brewed lager and they mix it with beer that has been aged in bourbon barrels. So you definitely expect a little bit of that uh, smoother character that maybe a little bit. Um, you know, oaky, smoky taste, but it's really countered by the vanilla. You get both, and it's got this warm, smooth finish that's not overly sweet, not overly smoky. It's just fantastic. I'm super glad I found it. Nice. Well, I don't get that here, but I think maybe I will go... You can uh, get it in Minnesota. I looked it up for you. Oh, man. I don't know that I want to drive to Minnesota. I'm not saying you do want to drive to Minnesota. I'm saying you do happen to go do runs things and have conferences. And, you know, occasionally, if you get to Minnesota, they are distributing it there. So I'll uh, keep my eye out, and I have a friend in Minneapolis I can maybe send to reserve a six-pack for me. There you go. I would hope you get it because I think you would really enjoy it, given your, given your taste in previous beers on the podcast. But All right, let's get ourselves out of here. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Bears Over Beers. You can follow Jeff at GridironBorn. You can follow me at the Draftsman FB. We love all your comments there about beers, about the Bears, about things we should do on the podcast. We are so happy that you guys are listening and in tremendous numbers are really that's just fantastic. Some other great podcasts in the WCG lineup. Robert Schmitz has got Bear With Me. Lester Wilfong puts out T-Formation Conversation. And new to the lineup is Bill Zimmerman with Bears Banner. Couldn't be more excited to welcome him to the team. And uh, we'll be bringing you stuff every week with our review preview format. Let us know how you like that. And until then, let's look for a glorious victory over the team from Washington. And until next time, fans, Bear Down. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, 
wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.